Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to The Bear of Texas Podcast. Soccer fans all over the world, it is time. It is time for another strong session of Into the Net FC. So, sit back, relax, and get ready for a wild ride where you will hear the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The intensity on the pitch is about to go down and here we go ladies and gentlemen welcome to another edition of into the net fc this is the bear of texas reporting live from an undisclosed location deep in the heart of Texas. It is once again my honor to welcome back my good friend, my mentor. He's reporting live in beautiful and sunny Southern California. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome back Steve Adams. Hey, greetings, everybody. Uh, just finished dinner with my wife here, enjoying a very nice Napa Valley uh, Pinot Noir while we're having our conversation. And we could talk about, uh, boy, where to begin from this weekend, Alex? Where do you want to start? What went on? Well, <laughs> since we're doing our little weekly Premier League thing, you know what? Let's go ahead and start off with upset number one, Leicester City and West Ham. That's our first predi- uh, first prediction that we both got wrong. And <laughs> and this is humiliating, quite frankly, especially for me. Yeah, boy, did not see that one coming. The Hammers went up to the Midlands, and they just absolutely put on a clinic against Leicester City. Uh, just a really, really good match by the Gunners. I mean, I mean, if I remember correctly, I had Leicester City winning 4-1. to one. But turns out that West Ham decided, all right, if you want to disrespect us like this, <laughs> it seems like West Ham heard what I said. Well, the Spaniard, Pablo Fornals, had just a wonderful game. Scored a goal, assisted on a goal. Um... It's probably a good thing for the Foxes that they didn't have any fans at King Power Stadium because they would have been booed out. Absolutely. And and this results in Leicester City now third. But could be worse. They're still on top there. So, really, no no need to hit the panic button. It's just, you know, unbelievable. You know, Jamie Vardy, who's one of the best players in the Premier League right now, he, it seems like he got shut down. Yeah, they were able to shut him down, and, um, you know, Pablo Fernals, uh he was able to control Cresswell's long ball, and uh, he was able to beat Casper Schmeichel at the near post for a really nice goal. Uh, 
the Englishman Michael Antonio, he was uh, able to get the hammers out early with a headed ball, and uh, the hammers just really never looked back. I mean, very respectable performance. You know, 2 nothing lead, you know, by the 35th minute. The rest of the game is just a back-and-forth dribbling contest until a certain dude named Jared Bowen seals the deal in the 83rd minute to make it 3 nothing. And that for West Ham, that gives them win number two. So now I guess West Ham's now on a two-game winning streak. They are, and by losing at King Power Stadium, the Foxes, they were not able to keep pace with Everton, who continued with their winning ways. Uh, I mean, you know, we'll get to Everton in a little bit, man. Everton's just looking great. You know, 4-0 on top of the Premier League, scoring 12 goals, allowing, you know, just five. I mean, these guys, these guys are really doing fine. I mean, got to give props to Carlo Ancelotti, and, you know, it's the, 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 the biggest story about Everton is James Rodriguez. Thomas Rodriguez had a incredible game two goals an assist this is everton's in the premier league era this is everton's best ever start ever and they're making the most of it you know what since we're talking about everton already we'll just go in and go with this as a second game to talk about but in everton you know what makes this so interesting is that you know two amazing teams in liverpool Really fighting it out. I mean, just imagine, you know, Liverpool and Everton, you know, that derby, when it really comes, it's really going to get interesting. But when these derbies are so interesting, when there's two good teams, that's a game you really want to sit down and watch. Well, and Everton, beautiful offensive game, and uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored uh, the first Toffee goal, and it was actually... He's got a goal in the four opening matches and will be playing for England during the international break. Uh-huh. And, and honestly, let's be honest, he, he really earned his spot. He, he's earned it. So he deserves respect. No, no question. No question. But... And, I, and I wish the guy luck. I, I really do. I mean, you know, he might give me a story to write, and I'm always open to that. I will say one thing. If people have a chance to look at the replays, though, and in a losing effort, Eve Basuma scored a goal for Brighton that was just a super, just a brutally hit volley from distance. Um, one of the better goals of the day, but um, but for Brighton it was in a losing effort. See, and I like that. I mean, it was a, it was indeed a losing effort. But now let's go and go to Chelsea versus Crystal Palace. Well, I mean, for Chelsea, Chelsea needed to bounce back, and they, and they really did. But it was more like a second game. It was a second half effort overall well uh english defender ben chilwall scored a goal assisted on a goal in his chelsea debut um the italian Jorginho scored two late penalties for chelsea uh, in the 83rd minute american fans will be happy to know that christian pulisic was able to make his uh, chelsea debut for the new season he hadn't been able to play since he blew out his hammy in the losing effort in the FA Cup final against Arsenal, a final in which he had scored a goal. So it was good that at least he was able to take baby steps, get out there and play at least for, for seven or eight minutes. Absolutely. And, and it's amazing. You know, I'm glad, you know, he comes in as a substitute. You know, he's getting his feet wet, testing the water, slowly getting back to the groove. You know, they, they have to be very careful because Chris Pulisic is, is fragile. And I, and I don't mean any disrespect, but, you know, he's young, and but he's injury-prone, but they have to take the necessary precautions to make sure he doesn't get hurt. If it means giving him more rest time, then so be it, because Chelsea, they're going to need Pulisic to be ready to go at the end of the month when the, the Champions League begins. He'll need to be in it. Uh, he should be getting some rest during the international break. He won't be playing for the U.S. in any of the internationals, to my knowledge. Uh, not that not that I know of, honestly, but you know, but I'm sure the U.S. is going to follow the same precaution because, you know, he's the future of the United States men's national team. I mean, losing him would be absolutely catastrophic, and I'm talking about a permanent injury. So, be careful at all costs. If the game's not worth it to him to risk, then don't take it. It was a good day at the office at Chelsea. Scored four goals, kept a clean sheet. Uh-huh. And what's interesting is the dude who had recently been brought to Chelsea, the goalkeeper. Um, looking at his MNL, Mendy, you know, great great way for him to have his debut, keep a clean sheet. No question. No question. Uh, I'm sure that uh, 
Frank Lampard is uh, breathing a sigh of relief, and I guess now the question is, you know, how much salary are they going to have to eat to be able to unload Kepa? Well, you know, see, that's the, that's really uh, the sign of stress right there for uh, Chelsea, but we're going to give this guy Mendy. I mean, Mendy's making, making a name for himself. If, if he takes over as the starting goalkeeper, then honestly, I'm, sort of, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He, he earned it. I mean, there's nothing to argue about that. But uh, actually, the game that I ended up watching on Saturday quite a bit, I watched uh, Leeds and Manchester City play a very entertaining game that was actually played in pretty bad conditions. It was pretty torrential rain in Yorkshire, and um, a very entertaining one-to-one draw. And um, I, I thought it was really one of the best matches of the weekend. Yeah, I kind of did, and you know... <laughs> I mean, Leeds United, what, they're, they're proving a point for real this season. I mean, for Leeds United, I'm going to use a little old saying, shit just got real. Like, these guys mean business. You know, right now they're eighth place, but they're, you know, two wins, one draw, one loss. But they're off to a good start, a very respectable start. I mean. Well, they had a fairly tough, you know, opening draw. And when you consider, you know, who they've had to play so far, um, was really impressed with uh, Rodrigo Moreno. Um, he was able to take advantage of a poorly punched away ball by the Man City goalie, Ederson. But uh, Rodrigo had a very strong match. Um, uh, Sterling, Raheem Sterling, he had a very nice finish for the opening goal of the match for, for City. Uh, for Leeds, the, their French goal t- goaltender, uh, Ilian Messier, Played a really, really great match. Uh, I thought in defense, uh, the Northern Ireland defender, Stuart Dallas, he had a very, very good match. Costa played well for for Leeds. Um, the guy who really, I thought, was a difference maker for Leeds in the second half and just provided uh, instant offense the minute that he stepped on the pitch at the beginning of the second half, Ian Povedo Campo. And in spite of the very Latino-sounding last name, he's actually an Englishman. Um but he looked really lively on the on the right side, and um, I think I really think in the second half I thought he was Leeds' best player. See, I like the way you just described the game because it seems to me that you follow a similar st- st- strategy uh, that I do. You psychologically evaluate the games when you watch it, and and I like that. I really do. I mean, for me, I have to do it because how am I going to tell the story if I don't see everything that's going on? I mean, I can't just go out there and say. Oh, they dribbled the ball, scored the goal, this and that. You know, it's about the chemistry. It's about the mentality that you see, you know, everything. Like, you really got to see everything from every standpoint. I mean, that's how you best describe the game of soccer. Well, what was really impressive to me was just I I thought the quality of the play, uh, even being played in really just horrible conditions. Um, You know, mad props to both teams for presenting a really, really entertaining game. It's very inter- entertaining game, but for Manchester City, it's it's not you know it's not good because you know they were coming off uh, an embarrassing loss to Leicester City, and I had predicted them that this time they get it done, but not in easy fashion. I predicted Manchester City winning three to two, and I guess Leeds United heard me heard me say that. I mean, I'm guessing to say several players from these teams might have might be listening to my podcast, and if, if I'm going against them, they're really taking that as motivation, but. If they are listening, then guys, you know, by all means. I mean, if I'm motivating motivating you, then good. <laughs> that makes me happy. But, but bottom line is, you know, this is another prediction I got wrong. But you know, I'm not mad about it. One of the other interesting trends that we're seeing here in the EPL is just the continued signing by EPL teams of young French talent. Uh, Wolverhampton signed uh, a young French international. He hasn't played internationally for France on the senior level yet. But uh, Ryan Nouri, he just signed a contract with Wolves, uh, a loan deal from Angers. And uh, Wolves celebrated that. They were able to get a one-zip win over bottom feeders Fulham. Yeah, that's very uh, very interesting. And as we look at this game, yeah, well, it was definitely an effort. You know, scoring in the 56th minute, it was really... And I guess, you know, Fulham did show a bit of improvement, you know, making it one nothing and making a score like in the middle of the second half but and you know as I'm looking at you know Fulham had more passes the better pass accuracy you know total of 10 shots but only two on target wow 
But uh, Portugal's Pedro Neto's goal uh, in the second half, that was enough. Um, so, I mean, the good news for Fulham, they were able to hold an opponent to one goal for a change, but the bad news for them is that it wasn't enough because they still had a, a sterile scoreline on their end, no goals in. Yeah, they are. I mean, you know, they're 0-4, and they're 20th in, in the Premier League. I mean, they're bottom of the regulation zone. But, okay. yeah. All right, so now we get to Newcastle and Burnley. <laughs> Well, you know, it looks like Newcastle's be really beginning to uh, really pick up the pace. I, I believe, you know, uh, you know, two one, two wins, one draw, one loss, ninth place. You know, these guys might be proving a point. Like, you know, they they off, you know, they were off to a bad start. You know, had that three nothing loss to Brighton. You know, that tie against Tottenham. Well, and. Uh... Ellis uh, Maximin, he scored a goal, assisted on a goal for Nor Newcastle. Uh, played a very, very strong match. Um, and, um, yeah, at St. James's Park, Newcastle was able to run out the fairly easy 3-1 to -one win over Burnley, who is having a very miserable start to this season. Oh, very miserable indeed. And, uh, and another example right here is when he said that ball possession, having more possession is so overrated. There's another example of it because, like you know, Burnley had longer ball possession, but it really it really makes more sense every time I look at it. It makes more it makes more and more sense to to your explanation when you said that having more ball possession is really overrated and really doesn't really cause much of a game changer. Burnley really didn't threaten goal very very much. I mean, it was a fairly comfortable win for Newcastle. I think that's why you mean to say that it's overrated because what's what good is it if you can't score, right? I mean, what good is having more ball control if you can't take full advantage, right? Well, you've got to create the chances on goal. Exactly. Because you, you know, I mean, you, you, in other words, you, you got to make you got to make them count. Exactly. Okay. All right. Now we get to Southampton and West Brom. Oh, poor West Brom. Um, unfortunately, they're going to be in the mix as far as with the relegation uh, candidates as well this year. Well, Two-game winning streak for Southampton. You know, good good match for them. And, um, you know, just continued bad mojo for the Baggies. <laughs> and West Brom is also in the, reg in the regulation zone. Actually, no, actually, no, 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 they are not. My bad. They're actually well. They're one. They're one spot up, like right above. Like they're like one step ahead from being in the relegation they're, zone. Yep, they're one up in the relegation zone. They're in seventeenth, but still, um, you know, they've they've got a whopping one point from four games. Hmm, you know, you know they're they're winless, and you know one draw and three losses. You know, you know West Brom, Burnley, Sheffield, and Fulham are all winless. And, <laughs> And right now, right, yeah, right now, you know, as we get into that, it's just right embarrassing. Manchester United is just right above uh, West Brom, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that game in a little bit, but that will we'll get to it in a sec. One other thing of note with Southampton continued the trend of uh, of English teams going across the the English Channel or La Manche. Uh, they picked up another French midfielder, Ibrahim Diallo from Brest. So. Um, Another Frenchman is going to come across the channel to apply his trade in the EPL. It seems like French players are going to take over the Premier League. Well, I mean, I've maintained this uh, for a long time. I think there's a couple different leagues out there that seem to do a very, very good job of developing young talent. I think Portugal is one. I think the Eredivisie in Holland is one. And um, I think French Ligue 1 does an extremely good job of developing young talent for as much as, you know, some people may look down on, on French Ligue 1. Well, I mean, a lot of this talent is still finding its way to the big clubs in England, in Italy, in Spain, and in Germany. So, you know, there's something there. It's always been like that. I mean, I remember the guys like Thierry Henry... Lilian Thuram, Fabien Barthez, they were all, 
Like they all, well, they play from. I know Henri and uh, started at Monaco. I believe Barthez started at Toulouse, but 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 that brings to your point. Like all these players, they began their career playing for French league. Uh, you know, Olivier Giroud is a great example. Started at Grenoble, and I believe he went to Tours, and then he went to Lille, and then then and then eventually he got his chance at Arsenal. Well, and you know, once upon a time. Uh, in French soccer, in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a, a major inferiority complex uh, in France. They just didn't feel that they could compete with a lot of the, the best teams in the top leagues. And I mean, I remember when Didier Seeks, uh, who was on the French national team, played in the 82 World Cup for France. You know, when he came north of the border and he played with Aston Villa, you know, in that time frame, he was he was one of the French first French players to to make that tentative attempt to try to play in England. You know, and of course now, I mean, there's a slew of of French talent that's plying their trade in the EPL. It's a whole different story now. I think during that time, you know, French players. I know, you know, Platini was in, was playing in Italy, playing at Juventus. Yeah, it, it, he's right. Back then, you know, French players playing in England was it was kind of unheard of until it finally happened. And I guess that this play that you just described kind of helped open the door to having French players, you know, come play in England. But, you know, I, I always think of the time when Newcastle, and we've talked about this on the show before, how Newcastle had the chance to sign Zinedine Zidane when he was 24 years old. And during that time, I believe Zidane was playing at Bordeaux. Well, and once upon a time, the feeling was is that uh, – French players would be too delicate to withstand the rough and tumble play of uh, English top flight football, you know. And of course, now you know we know that that's that's just absolute rubbish. Um, I mean, when you look at you know the physicality of uh, of some of the French players that have played or are playing in France in um, in the EPL, so. Um, that's that's a myth that's been dispelled a long, long time ago. It has. You know, my my dad will say this: if these guys, French guys, if they can play in Italy or in Spain, then they can definitely play for England. Although, honestly, I mean, the the EPL is definitely the most competitive flight of domestic soccer. But still, at the same time, playing in Italy, playing in Spain, or even playing in Germany, it's no easy task. No, they're all they're all top leagues. Mm-hmm. They, they are, and. And, you know, it's just amazing. You know, Newcastle pass on him, and then Juventus... And I noticed, I did the research. Juventus immediately wasted no time and then just and just signed the guy. And the, and the rest of it is history. <laughs> but, uh, but, but now we're starting to get towards, the, you know, talking about France. The last time that we've seen such an uprising of, uh, how shall I say, lighter weight people, you know, people stormed the Bastille... In France, I mean, what happened over the weekend uh, with uh, Villa versus Liverpool, Man U versus Tottenham? I mean, you know, just totally turning everything on its head. Where do you uh, want to go? Well, I'm just gonna say it like it is. I did not pick Manchester United to win this game. I I had them went losing three to one. Absolutely horrible. Look, I know everybody. Okay. Based on what I've seen on social media, Steve, I kid you not. Everybody hates Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I mean, I understand they're pissed at him. I mean, look, guys, it's not all on him. I mean, yes, he's to blame too, but really, is it just on him? I mean, is it his fault that the players can't don't have any chemistry, they can't play with each other, they can't do their jobs? I mean, his job is... I mean, it's not like he's going to tell his players, kick the ball here, do this. I mean, that's not how it goes. And what's amazing is Manchester United did, in fact, score first. I mean, except that lead was was short lived, and I, and how ironic it was a Bruno Fernandez penalty. But and what's really painful, what and this adds in, uh, insult to injury, is that Jose Mourinho made his return to Old Trafford and was able to pick up a huge win. I mean, this guy is probably laughing his butt off, and honestly, he really. I mean, he, I guess he has the right to, right? The thing that was amazing to me in watching this game was that every time they were showing Jose Mourinho on the sideline, he just had this very dour look on his face. I mean, you would swear that Tottenham was on the other he- other end of this mauling. But, 
But yeah, but as you alluded to, after Fernandez scored on that penalty, and um, then when Ndobele got the equalizer, it just rained down goals uh, in Old Trafford. Sun Hunung uh, Min uh, scored a brace, as did uh, Harry Kane. Oh boy, you know, and Anthony Marciad got red card in, in the twenty eighth minute. Now I didn't actually see the game, but from what I understand is a Tottenham player elbowed him. And Anthony Martial got pissed and retaliated. There was a bit of a, there was a bit of an elbow, and uh, you know it was basically just a wee slap. And um, you know, I mean, unfortunately, the way the game is, you cannot go to a player's face. Yes, it was minimal contact. I mean, there was stuff that happened later on in the game. Uh, M- Manchester United's uh, Bailly, you know, he basically you know stomped on a guy. That you know, and I don't know how the referee didn't miss it or how VAR didn't alert that. Now that one should have been a red card for Manu, but this one was pretty marginal. Um, on the one song goal, the thing that I really loved with that was Harry Kane had gotten fouled and then quickly got to his feet, quickly put the ball back into play, and he just laid off a beautiful ball for Son that uh, he was able to cash in and. Uh, Son, even though he was recovering from a hamstring injury, you know, he looked good. I mean, he's he was not lacking for pace, and he was lethal. His finishing was good. But, uh, I mean, Tottenham was already going to win this game going away, and then with Martial getting set off on that, you know, stupid slap he did on Eric Lamela, you know, that pretty much sealed the fate. But uh, it was it was a pure and utter capitulation at home and uh i you just don't even know what what to say about that i i don't know you know for all the talk about Ole Gunnar solshire well i i think it's just a a system-wide issue i think there's problems in the front boardroom at man u i think there's clearly a problem with the players because it's not for lack of good players they've got some players who you know have good pedigrees they have world-class talent you know, they've, they've got players who should be more competitive. And they're not competing, and it was ugly, and it was shameful. But for the people who want to see uh, Olaf Gunnar Solskjaer get the axe, I guess my question is, who do you bring in? At this point, who do you bring in to coach this side right now? And when you ask them that, you, you know what's so ironic? You, you know how they react? They are silent. They have no answer <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's the same thing with you know with Dallas Cowboy fans I mean there's already I mean I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little off subject but there's a lot there's a lot of Cowboy fans I want Mike McCarthy gone and I'll ask him well then who the hell becomes the coach riddle me that silent all I hear is cricket so look Ole Gunnar Solskjaer deserves his share of the blame but guys it's not just on him you know uh, you know, and I wrote an article just a couple of days ago with three huge predictions, three early predictions on the uh, cha- on the Champions League, and one of them, you know, Steve and I discussed it. It's a, and it does involve Manu. I'm not going to spoil the surprise too much, but if you guys want to go and get and read it, it's been retweeted. It's on Primetime Sports Talk. A lot of great content. You'll you'll be shocked, but the truth is, Manchester United is not a good team. They have world class talent. But it's not being it's not being put to use. And speaking of Manchester United, a, cer- a, a certain player actually just arrived, Edinson Cavani, on a free transfer, just uh, signed a one year deal. I mean, I really don't think it's gonna help the cause, to be honest. I mean, him, he, he'll probably score a couple of goals and play great, but I'm really not. I really don't think it's gonna help, honestly. I don't think Man U's problems are on top or scoring. Their problems are clearly their defense. Their defense has just been. You know, they've run roughshod over it. I mean, when, when Crystal Palace can show you up and then if a team like Crystal Palace can go, score three, Tottenham with Harry Kane and Son just absolutely playing virtuoso ball together, uh, they just ran roughshod over this uh, very, very woeful man youth side. And uh, it's... It's really rather incredible to see them right now sitting down in 16th place. I mean, you know, and here's the fact. Uh, the fact is, this is the first time since the 1986-87 EPL campaign that Man U has lost their first two opening games. 
I mean, and, and you know, this is the first time they've conceded four goals in a first half in Premier League in a Premier League game. Never before in Manchester League history, Manchester United history, have they ever conceded four goals in the first half. I mean, this game is one to remember, Steve. You can mark my words on that. Well, the only thing that I think may have helped the word uh, help a little bit for beleaguered Mancunian fans in Lancashire, uh, Liverpool getting absolutely thoroughly destroyed and disemboweled at Villa Park in Birmingham, 7-2 by Aston Villa. This is a game that, you know, I thought, well, you know, maybe Liverpool might suffer from a little bit of overconfidence. Uh, yes, the, the replacement goaltender, Adrian, had a royal screw-up that led to the first goal for uh, Aston Villa. But you can't blame all the other goals on Adrienne. Yeah, you know, three of the goals were off of deflected balls, but Aston Villa just took the game to them. They just absolutely... And if you're an England fan, I mean, Ollie Watkins, hat trick. Jack Grealish, two goals and three assists. Uh, Ross Barkley, who's the ex-Chelsea player, uh, English player, Ross Barkley got into the scoring action, too, for Aston Villa. So, you know, he got a goal as well. And, you know, I think uh, this move to uh, Villa Park, I think, was probably a good move for Ross Barkley because he probably wasn't getting as much playing time, probably was not going to see as much playing time at Chelsea. Well, in Birmingham, he's going to see a whole lot of playing time. And, um, you know, this, this Villa side, you know, they've come out of the blocks. You know, they're... They're probably, boy, I'll tell you, it'd be tough to say who's the biggest surprise. It, for me, it's a tie between Villa and Leeds as far as who's the who's been the biggest pleasant surprises so far um, in this young season. You know, it's amazing. You know, Aston Villa is, is in second place. And, um, you know, seven goals in the, in the Premier League era, Liverpool's never given up seven goals. I mean, the only, and and I mean, yeah, they, they may have been missing Mane because he's out because of COVID. Becker's got a bum shoulder, but you know what? That was still a fairly first-choice lineup at, that uh, was out there. I mean, you know, eight or nine of those guys would still be normal first-team players for Jurgen Klopp, and they got just absolutely uh, shredded by Aston Villa. And the, the only other thing that was just really too bad is that, you know, this is a team that has seen a lot of tough times over the past, you know, 30-plus years. Um, but it's, it's too bad that Villa Park wasn't full. That people would have absolutely been rocking down in the, in the Holt end. And, but this is clearly Aston Villa's biggest win since, I would dare say, even the early 80s. Uh, when they won a top-flight title in England and when they won a European Champions Cup. I think it's it's the biggest win that they've had in almost 40 years. Wow. <laughs> you know, with, with all the rough years, you know, a win like that, a, a rare, exciting win like that has really got Aston Villa supporters rejoicing. But, uh, but no, there hasn't been that much scoring at... Birmingham that didn't involve a brothel. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, you know, for for those of us who are Liverpool fans, I mean, we're just sort of shaking our heads. But I think really the first game of the season against Leeds probably should have been a little bit of warning that uh, you know it's it's a different year um, and that you know they're not going to blitz through the the EPL this is a team that's clearly not going to win they're they're not going to get 90 points with the way their their defense is right now and um I'm sure that I a lot of people are looking forward to Saturday October 17th uh in my time on the west coast it's going to be 4 30 a.m Everton hosting Liverpool at Goodison Park Probably the first really meaningful match with Everton and Liverpool in a long, long time. 
And again, it's just too bad that there's not going to be any fans at Goodison Park because it will be rocking. And even me, who as much as I love my sleep, uh, I plan on getting up at 4.30 on Saturday, October 17th to catch this one. Well, I'm not surprised because, you know, you love Liverpool, and like you just described, it's a meaningful game. And yeah, it is a damn shame that no one's going to be there. But, you know, and I'm going to be honest right here. Based on how you, when we were talking about the opening week, how you mentioned about Liverpool, you knew it was a warning. I mean, based on your tone, you know, even my dad told me this because he listened. He might not explain. Steve is in his tone is is actually trying to warn that this is a warning, like that Liverpool. It's a new year, and that Liverpool may good, look good on paper, but it's about the results on on the grid on the on the pitch. I mean, you know, it could be true. I mean, you know, because you know, you are in fact, you know, your knowledge of soccer is quite unique, Steve. So you know, my dad may be right. I mean, I think you were trying to say like you were, you've been trying to warn that this is not the Liverpool team that we saw. You know, two years ago that won, you know, that won the Champions League again. You know, they they frankly look slow. I mean, they they frankly look slow. They look slow against Leeds. They looked absolutely like they were running in cement against uh, Aston Villa, as you know, Watkins and Grealish were just uh, running circles around them. And you know, you just you can't make any excuses. I mean, you can't. The last game uh, we got to talk about uh, for this week is Arsenal and Sheffield. Well, well, it wasn't easy for Arsenal, but they got the job done. Well, they got the spark when Pepe came in. When he came out in the 58th minute, he provided some spark. Um, goals from Saka and Pepe. Uh, the Blades got a late uh, goal from McLoderick, but you know that wasn't enough. Uh, Arsenal... Very, very workmanlike win uh, over over the Blades, who, after having a pretty decent year last year, they're really out of the block slow this 2021 season. Yeah, they really are. Arsenal, you know, three wins, one loss. You know, they lost to Liverpool uh, last week, fourth place in the Premier League, and looks like things might pick up. So, now... It's amazing. Like, now, so basically, now since uh, match match day fifth is is not like two weeks from now, is it? Do you, do you want to give predictions now, or should we go ahead and wait another week? I think we should wait because you know the big variable when you get into the uh, international play is does anybody get injured during the international break? Does anybody get pick up COVID during the international break? So, I mean, I, th- I think that there's so many variables yet that could shape how these sides are going to look in a couple of weeks. I think we should probably hold off a little bit on making any predictions or, um, you know, going over what the next round is going to look like. I agree. but And, you know, what? we should take a, a little look at the Nations League. You know, and recently, you know, specifically, we should talk a little bit about France because, Couple of a, uh, uh, there's actually a certain player that's actually going to make his well, I, I don't know if he's actually going to make his debut. He's been called up to the national team for the first time. It's a player by the name of Hussein. I'm not. I can't even pronounce his last name. I apologize, but he's a player that you know he he's described. You know he said Zinedine Zidane just like me is his hero, and some critics have actually have actually seen him as the next Zidane. Like how many? Okay, I mean how many times do I have to say it? I mean at the end of the day. What is a what is a comparison? I might have said prediction. I meant to say comparison, but a comparison is just simply an opinion. I mean, okay, fine. He might he's a midfield he's a midfielder. He's of Algerian descent, so he's he is like Zidane. But but as far as him being the next Zidane, that's just merely an opinion. Yeah, I think I think it's a little bit early about getting into the into the, those type of comparisons. Except you know he's been brought up. He, he's actually been brought up as one of the attackers. So. I'm not sure uh, if Deshaun plans to have him in the midfield or in the uh, in the forward section with uh, Mbappe and you know Marci- Marcial Anthony Martial has been called up. Uh, Kingsley Coma uh, has been called up. Those are two big, two amazing calls. Uh, and and I hope Martial gets more playing time. I, I would like to see Kingsley also get some playing time. Would love to see Mbappe also get more playing time after what happened last time. So, you know, Pogba has been brought back up. But here's something really, really interesting. Adrien Rabiot. Just like you know, in the first two Nations League games, he's been called right back up to the national national team. 
know, I'm actually surprised. I really, I, I really never anticipated that Adrien Rabiot would ever play for the national team again after he was omitted from the World Cup. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm guessing. I mean, I'm guessing. Did he and Deschamps reconcile, or maybe did he realize, you know what? I was just being immature. I'm, a, I'm a young guy. I, I'll have another chance to play at the World Cup. It's not a big deal. Whatever the reason, he's playing for France, and he's act- he was actually playing good. He did play good in those two, in those two first games that, that, when he was on the pitch. So it seems to me like he's really, you know, he's picking himself back up. He's gotten more mature. I mean, he, he doesn't play in Paris anymore. He plays at Juventus, I believe. Well, I mean, it's I'm glad that he was able to, you know, sort of turn things around and, you know, get a second chance with the French national team. Yeah, so I, I, I'm really guessing that he and Deschamps probably, you know, they sat down in, the, in, in Deschamps' office, they talked, you know, Rabiot probably, you know, said, look, I didn't mean it, and Deschamps says, look, you know, I don't care, you know, you were younger, you're more mature now, you're a whole lot better, you're playing at Juventus just like I did, you know, I'm, you're learning. I, I think that's why they were able to, you know, put things aside and, you know, Rabiot gets his chance, you know, because Rabiot's doing the same thing Deschamps did, you know, Deschamps was a young guy who went to Juventus, you know, got mature, got better. So it, maybe that, that that's why. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just a coincidence. I don't know that, you know, Rabiot is kind of following the same path as Deschamps. <laughs> but as far as France goes, you know, in these nations, in this Nations League game, you know, they got two important matches. I mean, they have a friendly against Ukraine first, but then they play Portugal and they, uh, at home, and they, then they play Croatia. Well, you know, top flight, top flight competition. Um, I don't know. I mean, to me, I think Croatia. I still think is a little bit on the downward arc. I think this was a team that really hit their peak in Russia a couple years ago, but they still have some pretty decent players on it, to be sure. I mean, they they really do, and I I don't know if I can see France beating Portugal. I mean, if France and Portugal draw, that's probably a win for France, but. France pulls it off somehow. That's amazing. But Portugal's has gotten better. Well, both France and Portugal are teams that just all they keep doing is developing good young talent. And, uh, I mean, these are the two teams that right now are, they're my favorites right now as far as for winning the Euros. Wait, you still have both of them as a favorite or just Portugal? No, I think both France and Portugal. I, I still think as far as, you know, when it comes time for doing the Euros, I think it's going to be one of the, either one of those two teams is, is, is my pick to, to win it. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if Belgium anymore. I think Hazard, who is such an important player for Belgium, and his, uh, you know, his injury problems, you know, it's hard to say if he's going to be able to, to get healthy like that but um but you know clearly you know a lot could change here you know and you know eight or nine months before they do the euros and i hope that they're able to do the euros next year i mean i I hope so (laughs) but honestly as far as france goes on paper they're definitely a good team but knowing france uh how we do it's all about are they mentally prepared do they have team chemistry? Because we, we all know how they are. They go. They went one time from winning the World Cup to, you know, crashing out of the group stage. You know, losing to Senegal in two thousand two. We all saw how that went down. But that was you know twenty years ago. You know, different coaching now, different players. But still, it, it's always been about mentality. It's always been about the focus. I mean, Fra- I've said this before. France is a team that has the talent, but not the focus. That's why that's why they've been known, you know, for not getting the job done at the crucial time. So the question on everyone's mind is: Will France be ready to go? And all I can say is I hope so because the group stage they're playing Portugal and Germany. <laughs> I mean, shit just got real. So France better be ready. Yep, no question. So I'm taking a look at these match days for the uh, Nations League. A couple of, I mean, you know, Germany's playing Ukraine, you know, on the road. Croatia is going to play Sweden. Uh, here's an interesting game: Belgium versus England. And Belgium's going to be on the on the winnings on the uh, road. Excuse me. Let's see. That's an interesting one because Belgium actually took out England twice in Russia uh, two years ago. So you know, but now England, you know, they're 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 finally 
getting some goal scores. So it's it's going to be interesting to see you know how it goes with Southgate, you know, and how he can make that uh, how he can make that go. But uh, but the, but that one's really kind of an intriguing match, and you know, there's more than a couple of Belgian players that are applying their trade into EPL as well. So uh, anyway, but that'll be an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean. If England wins, then, you know, that's great. But, you know, as you mentioned, without Eden uh, Azal, you know, Belgium, you know, Belgium doesn't have their guiding light. I mean, they don't have their best player with them. I mean, they still have Romelu Lukaku, Marwan Fellaini, uh, unless he's retired from international play, which I don't know if he is or not. I haven't heard about him in a while. But, I mean, I just saw that Belgium's not the team they were two years ago in Russia. I mean, that's that's for sure. No question. And England is not England isn't either, except in England's case, I think England got stronger. Oh, I think England is definitely, you know, on the upswing. Yeah, so I mean that's that's the difference. England's gotten better while Belgium's be, is like beginning to like their new golden generation is now like fading away. I mean it probably started fading away after they were eliminated in the semifinals by France two years ago in one of the most tight and stressful games in World Cup history. I mean that that French defense to shut to deny uh, Azal, Lukaku. I mean Hugo Lloris making those fantastic saves, just unbelievable. I mean I still get chills thinking about that game. But I think for Belgium right now, I think uh, if they're going to win uh, a major, you know, trophy for the first time for their national team, I think this this Euro. Uh, 2021 i think this is really kind of their last shot to do it i i think so too i agree i mean you know looking at this you know match uh, you know this these opening games there's only really two games that are really interesting. i mean there's italy versus poland there's you know, france france and portugal and england and belgium were probably the only two very interesting games uh but you know looking at you know scotland's playing slovakia but speaking, speaking of scotland they're actually on top of their group you know one win and one draw yeah, but I mean, but let's 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 be honest though. I mean, these this is like the lower lower tiers where Scotland is at right now. So, you know, this is this is an age away from when you know once upon a time when Scotland used to routinely qualify for the World Cup, and they would qualify for the World Cup when there were you know sixteen or twenty four teams, and you know Scotland would qualify. Um, and Scottish clubs were making very deep runs into, you know, the European tournaments, you know, whether it was the Champions Cup, the Old Cup Winners' Cup, the old UEFA Cup. It's, it's, it's a whole different world now. Um, Scottish football is just really, to, to be very blunt, it's really kind of fallen on hard times. Uh, with with the exception of Andy Robertson's play with Liverpool at left back, uh, there just there really has not been a whole lot of positive uh, news on on the football front for Scottish fans for for quite a while. Yeah, it, it, it's sad. I mean, I don't, I don't mean, I don't mean to make you feel old, Steve, but the last time Scotland qualified for the World Cup was in nineteen ninety eight. Folks, That's right. I, I was five years old, and I'm, I, I swear, I, I sorry, Steve, I'm sorry if I'm making you feel old, but I was five years old, and, and you know what? I was three years old last time they went to a Euro, which was in 1996, and I was still living in France. <laughs> well, and I remember back in 2007 when uh, we were in France for the Rugby World Cup, and we were in Paris, and uh, for the Euro qualifiers, Scotland had actually upset England, or excuse me, they had upset France at the Stade de France. And uh, the cafe that we were at in Paris, there was some, the game was on Wednesday, and this was a Friday, and there were a couple of kilt-clad Scottish fans that were still drinking and celebrating from the Wednesday game. And... Um, you know, the, the, the Tartan Army loves a good win and they love a good drink, but even after all that, Scotland still managed to, to find a way to not qualify for the 2008 Euros. But, uh, but anyway, but, uh, but yeah, it's, I don't know what's happened if, if it's so much that Scotland just fell so, so far behind or if other countries just, 
improved on their coaching and stuff. And and yet, and on the other hand, too, with Scotland, it's not for lack of good coaches. I mean, Sir Alex Ferguson, arguably the greatest coach in my lifetime. Um, he's a Scot, and um, you know, there's other other Scottish coaches that are that are applying their their trade as well. You know, with varying levels of success. So, so I don't know. It's 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 one of the great mysteries, and I guess later on I'll just have to pour myself a glass of scotch and ponder this further. I mean that that's what that's what I love about the people of Scotland that pride, their loyalty. You know, I I really I am hoping I will one day visit Scotland, and I can't wait to do it because I know I know how beautiful Scotland is. I've seen pictures. It's amazing. I've seen pictures, but I don't want the pictures. I want to see Scotland with my own eyes. It's an amazing place. I've been there a couple times. The wife and I were there in 2015. Had a chance to ride Clydesdales in Ayrshire, which is about 40 miles south and west of Glasgow. Uh, went, toured a whole bunch of different uh, Scotch whiskey distilleries. Uh, it was just a gorgeous autumn in Scotland. We saw all kinds of history. We ate well. We drank well. The Scots are just absolutely wonderful hosts and um you know, I would I would recommend that anybody, if you get a chance, once things open up after this fucking pandemic is over, you know, I would recommend for anybody to try to go to Scotland. It's an amazing good time, and they're just absolutely the most amazing people. It'll just be amazing to go to Europe to watch Euro 2021. So that wraps up for this week's folks. Just like to remind everybody that Into the Net FC is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music and even YouTube. Steve, I want to thank you very, very much for joining me this beautiful Monday evening. I can't wait to have you back. Hey, thanks for having me. Have a good rest of your week, everybody. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.